You can be seated. I want to give you a couple of places to turn in your Bibles this morning. First of all, Matthew chapter 28 and then 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, here's what's really cool about what I'm getting ready to share with you. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture this morning. And the reason I am is because we have basically created all these uh, uh, ideas about what the resurrection's all about, what Christ did on the cross, and the whole idea that he is the one that we're worshiping here today. Well, we've opened up all these questions. Now we're going to look at the proof of what we've been singing about and what we've been hearing about this morning straight out of his word. We're in the series three days, and last week we looked at a day of anticipation. If you remember last week, we were talking about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what he was about to face. Just hours before he would be arrested, go on trial, face a horrendous cross, he's in the garden, in agony, crying out to his heavenly Father, Father, if there's any other way, let it be another way. And then he said, not my will, but your will. Now, what's, our, what's so amazing about that, and so many times we've seen the movies, we've seen all the things that are out there that Hollywood portrays, and, and great attempts have been made at this, but here's what we need to understand. Jesus was not terrified, as I said last week, of what the Roman soldiers were going to do to him. The whippings, the nails in his hands and feet, and the spear in his side, that was far from his mind when he was there in agony in the garden. What he was afraid of is what God himself was about to do to him. He was about to place the sin, our sin, upon his son. And then he would turn his back away from that sin because he can't look on that sin. And then after that, he was going to pour his wrath on his only begotten son because our sin had been placed there. That is what was really going on. But that's behind the scenes. So this morning, what I want to do is I want us to look about what happened a couple of days later after all this went down. A couple of days later, we have a day of celebration. His resurrection from the grave, his victory over death. So look at the introduction on your outline. Christianity is, it is in its very essence, it is a resurrection religion. It's all about the resurrection. Now, now, if you need proof of that, then what you do is you go to Matthew chapter 28, and there's other passages that tell us things about this. It says in Matthew 28, verse one, now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Don't you love the rumblings? Don't you just love that? I, 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 I get excited when storms come because it's almost like, all right, God's going to show us a little bit. He's going to rattle some windows, you know? But, but can you imagine that morning? This, there, this, this, the sky was probably clear. It was probably a beautiful day like this. And all of a sudden, there was the roar. There was the whole idea of an earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. What does it mean that the angel sat down? It meant what he came to do was done. You see, Jesus didn't need the angel to move the stone. Jesus was already gone. What the stone being removed from for the angel was so we could look in. And that's what it was all about. And that's what we're seeing here in this story. It says in verse three, the angel, his countenance was like lightning and his clothes as white as snow. And the guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. By the way, he's not here. 
For he is risen and he said, come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. The greatest news the world has ever heard is pronounced here in Matthew chapter 28. Now, no other religion claims a resurrection. That's something Jonathan was talking about earlier. You can go to these world-renowned religious leaders and you can find their grave and remains are there. You won't find that with Jesus. It's a resurrection religion. Look on your outline. If you remove the resurrection, Christianity is destroyed. Everything about Christianity hinges on the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says this in verse one, Paul writes, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which you now stand, by which you are saved. It is this gospel you're saved with, that if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He was seen by Cephas, that was Peter, then by the 12 disciples. After that, he was seen by over 500 people at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Some have died, however. And and that he was seen by James then by all the apostles. Now, James, one of the coolest characters in the Bible, I believe, half-brother of Jesus. He was raised with Jesus. He saw Jesus. Those years we know nothing about from, from 12 to 30 or whatever, James could have filled us in. And all of a sudden, what we find here is that even James is saying, I saw my half-brother. He's raised, he's been raised from the dead. Look on your outline. The resurrection provides freedom for those who believe. I want you to turn to one more place, Colossians chapter two. You see, when Jesus arose, he gave us the power to live above our failed and doomed existence. You do know that, right? Before you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's several things you need to remember about your condition. You were hopeless. The Bible says you were doomed. The Bible literally says your life was in ruin. That's the condition that describes all of us before we come to Christ. Now, Paul writes in Romans chapter six that because Jesus arose, we can walk in a new life. We can have a whole new life. Look at what it says in Romans six here on the screen. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into his death. And what we have here is commentary on the resurrection and on his burial. So we'll see that, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. If we believe this, if this is something that our heart is wrapped around, if we truly believe in the resurrection, what he's saying is that there will be new freedoms, freedoms like we've never had before in our life. He says, for if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, That's the identification in his death. We identify with his death. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man, that person who existed before this was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer, y'all, we don't have to be slaves to our sin anymore. We don't have to live in bondage. We don't have to live in, in, in deception. It goes on and says, for he who has died has, freed, has, has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, if we've taken him up on this, we believe that we shall also live with him. 
Now, let me tell you something about Colossians chapter 2. You see, that's the reason I love the Bible. The Bible was written by so many diff different authors, and Paul writes a lot of it. But what's interesting is the Bible, the continuity of, of the Scripture is amazing. You can go to one letter and find this out. You can move to the next and we get commentary on it. You go to the next and you're looking for questions. Well, how is this possible? The Bible will fill it in on another letter. Kind of tells me it is his word. Amen. It is the one that put it all together. He is the one. The resurrection, think about this, moves us from ritual to restoration or relationship. You see, in the old covenant, everything was identified by what they would do to identify with the faith. We had things like circumcision, we had going to the temple, we had observing feasts and all these different things. But let me tell you something about Jesus. He said to himself, I've come to set up a new covenant. You know what that new covenant consists of? A personal relationship with those who come to Christ. Personal relationship. When you begin to look at all this, you begin to say, okay, what is really available to me? So if you're sitting here today and you heard us sing all the songs we sang about the resurrection, you saw the video and how powerful it was, where is the root of all this? Where does it come from? What is it all about? Well, let's look at it. Look on your outline. The resurrection speaks of, I want you, if you have a pen, write your name in that blank. Speaks of Brian's problem speaks of your problem. What was your problem? Look on your outline, spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. Before you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Bible describes your life as you being spiritually dead. Colossians chapter two, look at verse 13. It says, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now the phrase, this phrase in verse 13, being dead is in the Greek. Now this may... This may, let me just say this, you may not care anything about this, but it's important for us to understand it. It's in the locative, what's called the locative case, which means it speaks of either location or condition. In this case, he's obviously talking about our condition. Our condition before we came to Christ was the fact that we were dead. That's clearly what it says. That was our condition which was both constant and unchanging. And there was nothing we could do about it in and of ourselves. That's where we were. That's what called, that's where we wound up. There are two ways that we're spiritually dead. There's two ways. And, and let me just say this. There's two types of people in this, in this room this morning based on the authority of God's word. You're either spiritually dead or you're spiritually alive. Every one of us, including those of us who are now spiritually alive, every one of us, listen, listen, we were sinners, look on your outline, by nature. We were spiritually dead by nature. You were born with it. I hear so many people say, well, I was born this way, I was born that way. You're exactly right. You were born in sin. You, you got to get your mind around that. People are at least calling it the right thing. Now, what they do with it after that is a whole different matter. But we were born bent towards sin. It was our nature. As I've told you many times, we don't teach two-year-olds to lie and cheat. They just do it. And they're pretty good at it. Second of all, we're spiritually dead by choice. The word trespasses in scripture means a deliberate act of sin when a person chooses to choose evil over good, wrong over right. We were not only born with this condition, we proved we had the condition. 
by the choices that we've made as we've lived our lives. So look on your outline. We're not only spiritually dead, we're also relationally dead. That's how the Bible describes us. By being both spiritually dead and relationally dead, it describes our hopeless situation. So in verse Colossians chapter two, look at it again. And you being dead in your trespasses, and here's the key, and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now circumcision, the only thing you need to know about that as it, as it relates to the old covenant is the fact that, that it is a, a special covenant God had with his people. It, it was a representation of a special relationship that he had with his people. And basically what this is saying is they were outside He's saying we're outside of that because we're not circumcised. So if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are relationally dead when it comes to God. Now, let me tell you how some of us try to fix it. Some of us try to fix our problem with sin as I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. How many of you, when a new year rolls around, what's the mantra? I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better on my diet. I'm going to quit allowing this, this evil in my, I, I just, I'm going to refuse. I'm going to, re, I'm, going to, I'm going to do better. I'm going to wake up tomorrow. It's going to be a new day. I'm just going to try. How has that really worked out for you? I'll get baptized. I, I've seen people and talked to people who've been baptized five, six times. And, and they're, th- they're thinking that something magical. It's not. It's not. Listen, baptism is just an outward demonstration of what's already happened. There's something that's already taken place. And what we had a chance to witness here this morning, it was these people saying, hey, something happened in my life. And it was bigger than me. And there was nothing I could do about it, but God did it for me. That's what that is about. Well, I'll just serve God more. I'll get busier for God. However, none of these attempts work. What does? Look on your outline. The resurrection speaks not only of our problem, but also Jesus's provision. The question is now, listen, how do we go from a problem to a provision? How do we move from desperation to hope? Some of you are sitting here this morning and here's what, let's just be honest. You don't know what to do with yourself. You don't know what to do with yourself. You say, how would you know that? Because almost everybody who says, I need to talk to you, what they're saying is, I don't know what to do with myself. I need help. I know if this continues to play out, I'm going to be even more desperate. I'm going to be even more hopeless. So how do we move in the direction? You see, Jesus' provision centers around the word redemption, which means, which comes from the word redeem, meaning to pay the penalty of. God the Father, listen, set the terms for the payment of sin. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't understand why it had to play out the way it did, other than the fact that's the way God the Father said it needed to play out. Here's what he said. Sin entered the picture. There had to be a payment for sin. Someone had to pay for the sin. Now, who stepped forward? Obviously, his son Jesus did. I'll pay the sin debt. I'll pay the sin debt. But here's where many people are this morning. And and listen, I'm not trying to make fun of anything. If you said this, you said it out of ignorance. I hear so many people say, well, I'm just going to live my truth. I'm going to, truth is what's going to be relevant to me. Truth is going to be those things that kind of center, that will center me and do this and do that. Listen, the truth that matters that's going to save your life is found in the word of God. And it's based on the authority of God's word. This is the truth. 
How do we know? I think the resurrection pretty much sums that up. And so what you have here is this idea that God said there must be a payment of sin. And God said this payment must be a perfect sacrifice. And by the way, every one of us have already blown that ability to pay the sin debt for ourselves. You know why? Because you were born a little sinner and you proved you were a little sinner. <laughs> we all did. The Bible teaches that when Jesus saved us, he did two things through his resurrection. Number one, he raised us from the dead. That's amazing when you think about it. Colossians chapter two, and you being dead in your trespasses, verse 13, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him. You know what that means? The only way you're made alive is because of him. It's because of him. The phrase with him is a term of identification. Again, our world is using that whole idea of identification all over the place. Have you noticed that? They're identifying this, they're identifying as that, whatever. This is the same type terminology except for it's bent in the right direction. It's the identification. Listen, we're gonna identify with him. Identifying with Jesus' resurrection, listen, puts life into a dead man or into a dead person. And that's what he did on my behalf. That's what he wants to do on your behalf. When we accept Jesus Christ, we are resurrected in our spirit. It literally means we are made alive. And from that resurrection comes a change in who we are. In Colossians chapter three, if you just turn a couple of pages or maybe it's right there, I want you to look at this. Paul in chapter two outlines, and here's basically what he says. Salvation doesn't consist of this. It consists of this. And it's what I outlined for you. And then in chapter three, he says, and by the way, let me tell you when, you, when you, when you give your life to Christ, here's what it'll look like. Look at chapter three, verse one. If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ, where? In God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Boy, there's a future tense there. And then he says, therefore, put to death your members, those cravings that cling to the world, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Skip over to verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, another way of saying, you who have been made alive in Christ, you are to be holy and beloved. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. It goes on to verse 14, but of all these things, put on love. Verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Verse 16, let the word of God dwell in your heart and richly in all wisdom. Verse 17, and whatever you do in word or do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through the Father, through him, the Father through him. You know what this is saying? Your whole life changes when you go from being a dead man to a person who's now made alive. Something happens in that life. Secondly, the resurrection delivered us from the debt of sin. Uh, there's a lot. I was, yesterday I was there, my wife was out of town and I was kind of sitting around the house and, and I was going through and I wanted to, I wanted to see a movie. Suddenly, everything I saw was Marvel movies. Come on, let's make other movies, okay? I, I don't mind the Marvel movies. I'm not, you know, but anyway, everything on there, all the new, I was like, oh my goodness, it's everywhere. It's, so anyway, I got to think, okay, it's, it's hero-oriented, right? Well, there's no greater hero in the Bible than God himself. 
And to me, the passage we're getting ready to read speaks of how much of a hero he really is. In Colossians chapter two, I want you to look at verse 13, the last part of verse 13. It says, having forgiven all trespasses. How did he do it? Look at verse 14. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. It was warring against us. It wasn't, it wasn't working on our behalf. It was leading us to ruin and desperation and hopelessness. And it says, and he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, some of you may be saying, how am I delivered from my debt? Here it is. First of all, every sin you've ever committed, you may not like this, is on your account. You got a running tab. Did you know that? And sin is there. And you owe that debt based on the authority of scripture. The Bible says that at the final judgment, the books will be open and you will be judged based on your sin debt. But here's the good news. You don't have to be. You don't have to be. But the Bible says there is a payment for sin. Your sin will be paid for. You can either pay it through condemnation and a future in, in, in hell. That's what the Bible talks about. Or he pays for it. I don't know about you, but I signed up for the latter, part, the latter deal. He paid for it. He paid for it. The Bible says that the final judgment, the books will be opened and the man will be found and a man will be found guilty by his works. The Bible here in this context calls it the handwriting of certificate of requirements. And here's what it means. It goes back to some of the songs we sang. Suppose you were guilty of charges in the first century in the jail cell or even on a cross, if you were hung on a cross because of a crime, there's a, your crime would be stated on the piece of paper, okay? Once the punishment was over, the paper with the charge was stamped with a Greek word, testesai, excuse me, which translates, we just sang about it, paid in full. It literally means it's finished, it's done, it's been taken care of. One day you will stand before the Lord and he will ask you, here's what's gonna happen. Why should I let you into my heaven? You're not gonna be able to say, because I'm a good person. You know what you're literally saying? You're saying, God, I think I'm good enough without your provision. I think I'm good enough without all that your son did. I'm good enough. Even though you placed my sin on him or, or, or the sin that I could give to him because I didn't make this decision, even though that was available, even though you poured your wrath, even though the night, a couple, the night before he was crying in, out in agony, begging this to be a different way and he finally yielded and said, okay, I'll do it. That doesn't matter. I want to do it my way. You hear the arrogance there? According to the scriptures, your debt sheet will read paid in full when you come to know the Savior we've been singing about and talking about this morning. Next, the resurrection speaks not only of our problem or Jesus' provision, but also Jesus' power. This is where the hero comes in, okay? So first of all, what's he gonna do? He disarmed the villains, disarmed the villains. Colossians chapter two, I want you to look at verse 15. It says, having disarmed principalities and powers. Now, who are those principalities and powers? It's the enemy, the enemy. It says, it's demonic forces. You say, 
You're not one of those that believes in that, are you? I sure do. Psychology calls it a lot of different things. And sometimes it is a psychological issue that needs to be, I mean, listen, the soul can be just as sick as the physical body. I get that. But there are other forces that are playing in this game too. In this thing we call life. And he's saying he disarmed. When Jesus was resurrected, listen, he disarmed death and he disarmed the powers of evil. That means if we come to him on his provision, when we come to him on his provision, guess what's available? His power. Woo, that's good stuff right there. Jesus' power disarmed the villains, but second of all, it displayed the victory. This, this is hero talk again. Look, look at verse 15 again. Look what it says. It says, and let, uh, I'm sorry. He, he goes on, the second part, he says, and made a public spectacle of them, triumph over them in it. It's a picture of war, parading the captive and defeated armies. The word triumphant is actually, literally, a, it's, a, it's a celebration. Guess what we've been doing here all morning? Celebrating the resurrection. We did it in song. We did it by video. We got excited about it. I'm up here telling you, okay, here's the word's proof of what we just sang about. And we should still be excited because it's a celebration. So here's the application this morning. The resurrection is a message of pardon, transformation, and victory that brings liberty to our lives. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what you're dealing with. I, I, I don't know what you came in with. But, but listen, this is serious. I want you to listen, look at the verse here on the screen. In, Col in Galatians chapter two, here's what it says. When I come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, here's what it looks like. I have been crucified with Christ. I've identified with what he did for me on the cross. What did he do? He paid my sin debt. What did he do? He took the wrath of God that should have been for me. He took that. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. I'm living on his behalf now. Like Colossians chapter three said, things have changed. It's not the same person anymore. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God. And this is it. Who loved me and gave himself for me, for me. The most important issue you will ever decide in this life is this. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Was he raised from the dead? If he was, which I know he was, there's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake. Eternity is at stake. How you live your life today is at stake. Everything's at stake. The resurrection, you know what it does? Listen, this is amazing to me. The resurrection guarantees that there will be a judgment one day. It guarantees it. And on that day, we will stand before the Lord. And when we stand before him, he will either be one of two things, our judge or our savior. I want to give you a word of personal testimony. I gave my life to the Lord when I was a young man. And when I stand before him, I haven't lived a perfect life. I've got family members here that can tell you. I have friends that can tell you. I've released clubs on the golf course before. I've lost it before. I've, <laughs> some of you have gotten in the left lane on the highway. You shouldn't have been in the left lane. I'm sure 
I'm not a perfect person. But you know, one thing I know is that Christ did change my life. I'm no longer the same. And one day when I leave this world, I'm going to stand before him. And guess what? I get to look at him as my savior. Not my judge, but my savior. And then last of all, here's the last part of this invitation. Because of the resurrection, we don't have to live in bondage. There's some of you Christians who are out here and you say, well, how do you know this? Because I've met a lot of Christians. I've heard a lot of Christians' hearts over the years. There's a lot of Christians who I believe have given their life to Jesus Christ, who, who have been made alive. But li listen, this, this is a contradiction. By the way, when, what I'm getting ready to tell you, they're living a contradiction, however. They have all that, but they're still living in bondage. And some of you are there this morning. Listen to what the Bible says about that. Galatians chapter five. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty or the freedom by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again. Don't go back to that with a yoke of bondage. You know what that's saying? It's saying it is possible for a Christian who was dead, who is now alive because of him, it is po possible for that person to go back into the bondages of sin. It, that should, that's a contradiction of what we should be. The life I live now, I live in Christ. He's my new identity. So when you hear people out there saying, well, I identify as this and I identify with that, and I you say, I identify with Jesus Christ. Because that's where you are if you know him. So I want to ask you right now, if you will, to stand to your feet with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Unless the other pastors come here to the front. I don't know where you are this morning. But you know something? The day that the Lord saved me, it was the day he was saying, come unto me. Come to me. Today, many years later, he's saying the same thing. Come to me. And I don't know where you are. But I know he wants to do a work in your life. If you don't know him this morning as your Lord and Savior, again, he's saying, come to him. We'd love to take God's word and show you how you can enter in that relationship. Second of all, maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you know that you, there was a time in your life where you were dead in your sins and now you're made alive, but something's gone awry. Something has changed. You've allowed something. You're, you're in bondage and you're living a contradiction based on God's word. You're not called to live in bondage as a Christian. Maybe you want to come and lay that down today. I can't think of a better day than a day that we celebrate the power of the resurrection. Father, have your way. Lord, if there's someone here who believes this church home, you call them to be a part of. We pray you have your way in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. We're getting ready to sing this hymn of invitation. Myself and other pastors will be here. Whatever your need is, we're here at the front. Just do what God's calling you to do. Sent his son, they called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. To buy my pardon 
Because he 